as we celebrate 4th of July weekend and uh, a baby dedication, the gift of life. That's exciting to celebrate with Derek and Haley. And uh, as we celebrate on a holiday weekend, as uh, people, many of you I'm sure, looked and said, aha, 4th of July is on a Monday. That's great. We have Friday evening, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, beautiful Montana. And uh, as a pastor, you look at it a little differently. Uh, There's not a whole lot in my mind, but I'll share a little bit of it. And uh, so you're like, great. Fourth of July is on a Monday. So that means on Sunday, I'll be talking to a lot of blue chairs. But uh, you are here this morning. And, uh, and I know people are traveling and we're praying Journey's Mercies for them. And, but I am so glad you're here because uh, it's more fun talking with you than with blue chairs. <laughs> and uh, so we're glad you're here. We celebrate July 4th. And, and you know, our, our ultimate calling is we are part of God's kingdom. But I am so grateful that I live in the United States of America. Now, I'm sure many of you have also, but one of the things that happens, especially on July 4th weekend or that time of year is is on the news, and I'm sort of a news junkie, they will uh, interview people about what it's like to be an American as we celebrate our Independence Day, and, and it's very sad in my mind to see some of the responses especially this year that have been given and uh, you know just to hear some of the statements made about our nation but I am so grateful well sometimes we get mixed up and we think that America is the center of the world it's it's not In end times, we see that Israel is, but yet as a nation, we can come here today and we can worship freely. And we have many freedoms that we have as Americans that people in other parts of the world don't have. And so I trust that you will join me this weekend in celebrating the many freedoms we do have as Americans. Yeah, there's things that our nation needs to work on. But I am so grateful for the freedoms and so many people that have sacrificed so much for the freedoms that we have. So as we celebrate July 4th, we can be thankful of God's blessing upon our nation and the freedoms that we have. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before you, May we recognize the incredible blessings that we have. Lord, we thank you for our nation. And Lord, I pray that our nation would be a nation that that looks to you. Lord, I thank you for freedoms that we have. Lord, I thank you so much for the many blessings that we have as being part of your family being forgiven of our sins and the hope that we have eternity if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, as we look at your word this morning, may we be encouraged, may we be challenged, may we recognize the words that you have for us today. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. It was July 64 AD. There was a guy named Nero. If you're into history at all, you're probably familiar with Nero. Some people said he had a few screws loose. He wasn't playing with a full deck, a few other statements. But something very interesting happened in July of AD 64, 64 AD. And that's what they had, is known as, is the burning of Rome. And a lot of evidence pointed to Nero being the one who actually started or had the fire started. In fact, sources say that uh, the soldiers were told to keep people from putting out the fire and even to enhancing and starting more fires so the whole city would burn. Many people believe that Nero, behind it, did it so he could restart and make a brand new shiny Rome, his celebration of it being just what he wanted. Well, I don't know if Nero expected this or not, but he got a lot of pushback. A lot of people lost a lot. Many lost everything they had. So they weren't overly impressed thinking that Nero was behind this. So Nero, in response to that, came up with a scapegoat. Someone to blame other than him. And that was the Christians. This newly started group of people, their savior had died 30 years before. And the Christians were starting to grow, but still a fairly small segment of their society. And so he blamed the Christians, and part of what they did is, is he began to persecute them. And they say that for the next 200 plus years, the, the persecution intensified in great ways. Nero, and, and my goal this morning isn't to be, I'm trying to think the best way to put it, to, to make you feel horrible, but I mean, Nero did some atrocious things as he killed persecuted Christians. You can read some of the things that he did, just inhumane. And as we look at 1 Peter, you say, so okay, that's an interesting story, but as we look at 1 Peter... We see that at the time that Peter wrote this letter, we don't know the exact date, but it was very shortly before Rome burned. And so as you've been following along, as we've been going through, this I think is like number 13 message in 1 Peter. We have four more to go, but as we... As we look at this and you say, boy, it seems like every other week we're talking about suffering. Well, because Peter knew, I don't think that God shared with him that Rome was going to burn down, but uh, he knew they were going to face some, and we're facing, and we're going to face increased persecution 
and suffering. In fact, this this short letter that Peter wrote, 21 different times he speaks of suffering or writes of suffering in this short letter. So probably about every other week we've been talking about suffering and and as we come in and next week we begin chapter five and and it gets into the conclusion and and obviously there's going to be a little bit of talk about standing firm there in the last chapter but but some other topics that he covers this at the end of chapter four he's summing up how they respond to suffering and we look at this and we say, well, you know, we, we recognize what they faced in the times of Nero and the Roman oppression that, that they faced that, but maybe we don't face it, so what good is it for us? Well, I think there's a couple things that we need to recognize. First of all, persecution still takes place. And second of all, we, we suffer because we live in a fallen world. So whether it's being persecuted for our faith or suffering because of our circumstances, Peter has some incredible things to teach us about suffering. And we could call it Suffering 101. He sort of puts it all in one final nutshell, puts it all together. How do you handle suffering? For most of us, we'd probably say not well. But Peter gives us some wisdom in that. And also, I think we need to recognize that suffering in the form of persecution is something that still takes place in our world a lot. In fact, according to Christianity.com, statistics say that more Christians died for their faith in the 20th century than the previous 19 centuries combined. Now, I recognize we live in the 21st century, but the persecution has not diminished. In fact, it continues to grow even more than it was in the 20th century. And there are Christians around the world who are making a decision to follow Christ and be persecuted to follow Christ and even be killed for their faith. And also, even in our nation, we can be persecuted for our faith. You may be in a workplace where people look at you as the Christian and they're like, oh yeah, the Christian, and they are sarcastic or cruel. You know, if, uh, if you follow the news at all, you may recognize that the United States has a Supreme Court and in the last couple of weeks, you may have recognized the Supreme Court has made news. We talked about it a little bit last week. They made some pretty big decisions over these, that have come out over these last couple of weeks. The end of their session, obviously, Roe versus Wade, the abortion decision that they made, the sanctity of life. But other big decisions... Decisions on the stay in Mexico policy, decision on the EPA and administrative overreach. But there was another one that was determined and brought out here in these last couple weeks. And that was about a high school football coach named Joe Kennedy. 
Kennedy had coached at Bremerton High School in Washington State from 2008 to 2015. And uh, he uh, was a JV, JV head coach and varsity assistant coach. But he was relieved of his duties because he would pray on the field after games. And so in 2015, I believe it was October of 2015, if I have my date correct, he was relieved of his duties and for the last almost seven years been fighting in court over his ability to pray publicly. And the Supreme Court, I believe rightly, came down with the ruling in his favor. But if you ask Joe Kennedy, is there persecution that's coming to Christians? <laughs> Even in our nation, he would say, oh yeah. He lived it, and I don't know his whole story. My nephew played against his team, but I don't know his whole story. But as I hear him share just a little bit, being persecuted for following Christ is something we may need to be recognize that we are going to face more and more. So I think this is a very important topic for us to look at. How do we handle suffering, whether it's persecution because we're a Christian or just suffering in the circumstances in which we're living because we live in a fallen world with sickness death, and evil. How do we handle suffering? Well, let's see what Peter shares with us this morning, verses 12 through 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4. He begins by reminding us that we can expect suffering. Look at verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Peter warned them to expect suffering. Now, we don't like suffering, whether it's persecution for following Christ or circumstances that are difficult. We want to avoid suffering at all costs. In fact, as followers of Christ, this may come in our mind as we see suffering and pain in the world. We may question God's power. When we see suffering in our own life, we, we question his power. We may question his love. But God's word says that there will be suffering, there will be pain in the world, and we will face persecution as we follow Christ. The Apostle Paul, who faced a lot of suffering, said this to a young pastor named Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. He said, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Listen to verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The first recorded instance of suffering for doing right took place in the life of a man named Abel, son of Adam and Eve. 1 John 3 verse 12 gives a little synopsis of what happened to Abel. 
says this, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother, that's Abel. And why did he murder him? Why did Cain murder Abel? Because his, Cain's works were evil and his brother's righteous. We will endure suffering, but how do we properly face it? Well, he says in verses 13 and 14 that we're to rejoice in suffering. Beginning in verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Now, it's interesting in those two verses that a form, there are different forms of the word joy, but four times... Forms of the word joy are mentioned in those two verses. And we look at that and we say, right. Rejoice in suffering. That makes no sense. What is Peter talking about? Is he saying that we should look forward to suffering? Oh, I can't wait. I hope I have a miserable week. I hope the people at work treat me horribly and I'm thrown in prison for for following Christ. I hope I have a horrible medical uh, situation come up in my life or a life of a loved one here this week. No, that's not what he's saying at all. Look at what he says. He says that we rejoice to the extent that we partake of Christ's suffering. We don't enjoy the suffering, but we enjoy the chance to stand with Christ no matter what the circumstance is. We must notice the phrase, to the extent that we suffer. To the extent that we suffer for Christ. It's an honor to stand with him. And he will be with us in the midst of our suffering. Peter also shares in verse 14 there that our suffering means future glory. Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are found in verses 3 through 12. But notice what he says as he concludes these attitudes that we're to have. Jesus speaking beginning in verse 10. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. And say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you we can rejoice because there's a reward in heaven there's a future glory not only that he goes on in verse 14 of first peter 4 to say that we have the work of the holy spirit and the glory of god in our suffering and he uses the term rest it says that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That word rest means to give relief. God gives relief in our suffering. In the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7, we see a, a man, a follower of Christ named Stephen, who is martyred for his faith. And as he was about to be killed, a couple things took place. First, he, he shared an impassioned plea for the people to follow Jesus. But he also had a calm assurance of the presence of God as he faced death. Look what it says in Acts chapter 6 and verse 15. It says this, And all who sat in the council, those people that had 
confirmed judgment upon Stephen. All who sat in the council, council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. They saw something different about him. They saw an assurance of someone who was facing imminent death, but was confident in a faithful God. It's also interesting as you read chapter 7 and he shares a history of the Jewish faith or Jewish people, points people to Jesus Christ. And then at the end of that, in the end of chapter 7, he asked God to forgive these people who were going to kill him. That should be a little familiar if you think back to Jesus Christ on the cross when he said, to the heavenly father father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing Stephen followed his lord's example in forgiving those people that murdered him but we see that we have relief even in the midst of our suffering but peter also asked god to or peter also reminds us to evaluate our suffering. In verses 15 through 18, it says this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? So we need to evaluate why we're suffering. Peter says, it's no good to suffer for doing wrong things. That's not suffering for righteousness' sake. Now, let's stop for a second and look at the list of the groups of people that Peter shares with who are suffering because of their evil deeds in verse 15. I don't know if you uh, caught it. If you looked at those, you're like, whoa, this doesn't seem to make sense. Listen, he gives four four different groups. Murderers, I get that one. Thieves, yeah, makes sense. Evildoers, now, the term that we translate evildoer is just a general term for all wicked people, all evil, all crimes. But the fourth term or group on the list, busybodies in other people's matters. What? Murderer, busybody. Now, I was going to have two pictures on the screen, one picture of a, you know, a serial murderer that may be a famous person, and then a picture of Aunt Gertrude, you know, a smiling lady, an elderly lady, sorry for the stereotype of busybodies, but uh, I thought I'd get those two pictures up there, and what do they have in common? They both make the list. Did God make a mistake? Did he say, okay, now Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm inspiring you as Peter wrote, but God inspired scripture. And so it's like, okay, uh, we need to have four. I only have three, the murderers, thieves, evil dudes. We got to get on to the next verse. So uh, busybodies. No, God didn't make a mistake. 
So why did he include busybodies with murderers and thieves, evildoers? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, we may be here looking at the list and saying, well, I'm not a murderer. <laughs> I'm not a thief. Yeah, I'm probably taking a couple of things I shouldn't have. And, uh, but, yeah, I, I'm not a thief, you know. Ooh. All sin is a stench before God. And we all fit the list. But I think there's a second reason. I think we can uh, fall into that category of a busybody pretty easily. It's interesting, if you look up the word that we translate busybody, it literally means a meddler in things alien to his calling. (laughs) Stuff he shouldn't be around or she shouldn't be around. The damage done by busybodies can be devastating and we should not make light of what we can consider a minor sin. And you notice we, we, we put sins into categories, don't we? Ooh, that one's a bad one. Well, this one's, yeah. You know, probably shouldn't have done it, but yeah. is that what God thinks? No. Sort of like, I laugh, and I'm sure I've said it too, a white lie. What's a white lie? It's a lie. And sometimes I can lie when I, when I sort of leave out some of the parts to make myself look better or someone else look worse. That's deception. That's sin. And so there's going to be times when we get in trouble for doing bad things. And it should be that way. But we need to recognize that there's consequences. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Paul speaking there, uh, to mind your own business. We will suffer when we do wrong. But we glorify God when we suffer for doing right. He goes on in verses 17 and 18. And he talks about judgment. And he says the judgment begins in the house of God. And it says, he uses the term time. And if you remember from shortly before, we looked at two different Greek words for time. One is chronos or chronos, chronos, chronology. You know, you may have a a chronos or chronos watch. And it talks about measurements of time. But there's another one called kairos, and it's used very seldom. And we could call it God time. It's a decisive, crucial moment. And we see that judgment begins in the house of God, but but what is the judgment Peter is speaking of here? He's talking about what we deserve for our sins. But 
Jesus Christ stepped in. And we don't get what we deserve because of Christ. And we can celebrate that. But we will have difficulty. We will have punishment, discipline. And we can recognize that our suffering can be a way that God teaches us and changes us. Our eternal destiny, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our eternal destiny is is changed because of what Jesus Christ did. But we are still disciplined. Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6 says this, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked or disciplined by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you saw a young child that's doing something very dangerous and the parent is just not not trying to change their actions at all. You would question the love of the parent, right? (laughs) Don't you see what your child is doing? That's dangerous. You need to do something. Well, God, the ultimate loving parent, loves us too much to let us do whatever. And there are times that we face suffering because it's God lovingly disciplining us. But sometimes... We suffer unfairly. And how do we handle that? He goes on in verse 17 and 18 to to help us recognize the hopelessness of those who have not trusted Christ. We can trust God for our salvation, but how do we handle our suffering? We trust him in our suffering. Verse 19 says this, Therefore let those who suffer... According to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Peter talks about the will of God in suffering. We need to recognize that God allows suffering. And God even uses suffering in our lives. But in the midst of our suffering, we are to commit our souls to him. That term commit is a banking term, and it means to deposit for safekeeping. Something that that we may connect it with is the FDIC, right? The Federal Deposit Insurance Company, I think I got that right. The FDIC. So you can go to the bank and you can deposit $250,000. I'm sure you're going to probably do that on Tuesday. And you can be confident that that is safe because the FDIC is ensuring that it'll be safe. Now, I'm glad we have the FDIC. 1929, they struggled with their money being safe in the bank, and I'm not going, (laughs) I'm not saying anything derogatory. Just that when we trust humans, we like them to come through, but it's not a guarantee. But when we commit our soul to God, He is faithful. He will never willingly or unwillingly let us down. 
And we can have confidence in that. So in the midst of the suffering, we can commit ourselves to a faithful creator. But he also says in there, as we commit ourselves to him, we continue to do good. In Acts chapter 4 and 5, we we see the story of Peter and John going to the temple and, and getting arrested. And then they were released but threatened not to say anything more about this Jesus. But what was their response to the, to the authorities there who were threatening them? They said, well, you guys can do whatever you want, but for us, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then they come back and a, and a group of them get together and they pray. And their prayer is fascinating. You see, their their prayer is not how I would pray. Because here they've been threatened, they've been thrown in prison, there are more threats of what could happen, other persecutions that were taking place. And what did they pray for? I know what I would have prayed for. God, please keep me safe. Which, by the way, is not a wrong thing to pray for. But what did they pray for? Boldness. To stand firm in the midst of adversity. My prayer is God help this adversity to go away. Their prayer was stand firm. Lord help us to stand firm in the midst of the adversity we're facing. We're called to stand firm. To continue on. So whenever you... uh, have something, a 101, usually at the end, they just give a little quick synopsis. And we're going to do this. So how do we handle suffering? Suffering 101. There's some things that Peter has taught us here. He's taught us throughout this letter to First Peter. But we can sort of put it in a nutshell in the end here. We need to remember these things. First, to keep an eternal perspective. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I love the picture that Paul paints in that verse. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. If you're going through something hard right now, you're saying, uh, Paul, <laughs> you don't know my circumstance. First of all, light, this is weighing me down. It's very heavy. And, but for a moment, this seems like it's lasting forever. But guess what? In the scope of eternity, if I look with an eternal perspective, it is for a moment. And it is light. In comparison to the eternal glory that I have in Christ. If you're training for a a race or some sort of an athletic event, what helps you train? Thinking about the misery misery of getting up at 5 a.m. for a seven-mile run before you get ready for work? No, I don't think so. You're looking forward to the goal. How can we handle suffering, persecution, pain? By looking to the goal. If we don't have an eternal perspective, we will have no hope. 
But if we do have an eternal perspective, it'll help us make it through the suffering. We can also recognize there's value in suffering. Peter here calls it a fiery trial. It means a painful experience, but it also emphasizes the fact that it can purge impurities. James 1 tells us that our trials bring maturity to our lives. They make us stronger. And also we have the hope, the Holy Spirit, and a faithful creator. Hebrews 13.5 says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God speaking, we know that he will never leave us. He is a faithful creator, as Peter says here in these verses. And the Holy Spirit indwells us if we are a follower of Christ, God will be with us through the fiery trial. And then verse 19, to continue to do what is right and good. Fiery trial, if you think about that, it takes you back to Daniel chapter 3. Story of three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, taken from Israel, captives into Babylon, but trained to work in Babylon. But as they were there, King Nebuchadnezzar decided he was going to make this giant statue and have everyone bow down to it. He got all these people in the leadership training and the leaders, they all came out to this place called the Plain of Dura. And they were to be an example for the rest of the the kingdom of Babylon. So when the music started, they were to bow down to this statue. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that God did not want them to bow down to any statue. They were to worship God and God alone. So what did they do? When the music started, they stood while everyone else bowed. So Nebuchadnezzar, word came to him, hey, these three guys didn't do what you said. Punishment was to be the fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar was very angry, but he brought them before him, and and he he had them brought before him, and, and he's trying to show his grace and compassion, which he had very little of, but uh, he was trying to portray that. He says, okay, guys, maybe you didn't understand. When the music started, you're to bow down. So I'm going to give you a second chance because I'm a nice guy. I love their response in verses 16 to 18, Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar just asked, I'm going to give you a second chance. Do you understand? And this is how they responded. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. What did they say? They said, listen, we serve an all-powerful God, and if he chooses, he can rescue us from any fiery furnace or anything else you want to do. But even if he chooses to let us burn in flames, we will still serve him. You know, I pray that we don't face persecution, serious persecution for following Christ. But if we do, how will we respond? 
And when circumstances of our life are difficult, how do we respond? Do we commit ourselves to God and continue doing good? That's what we're called to do, and we can do that because we have a faithful creator who walks with us through the fire. Now, maybe you didn't grow up in the church and you're not familiar with Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to tell you the end of the story. You see what happened? They threw them in. Nebuchadnezzar made the fire seven times hotter than it had been before. Even the people that threw them in instantly burned to death as they got close to the flames. But Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire and he saw these three men standing. And he said to the people around him, I see the three, but there's the fourth. And he looks like the son of man or the son of God. God was with them in the fire. God will be with you in the fire. But I got to finish the story too. So they pulled the guys out. No burns. No singed hair. They didn't even smell like smoke. We serve a mighty God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your love. We thank you for your grace. Lord, help us to live today in light of the eternal hope that we have. We thank you for freedoms that we have. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you freely and openly. But Lord, whatever difficult circumstances we're facing, whatever persecution may come, help us to stand firm, knowing that you are with us in the fire. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.